Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome in, Here. everybody, episode four. Three. Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, November 9th, 2021, people. And you know what today is as I yell and scream. I'm turning down the volume on my mic as I speak. But today is the opening day of college basketball, baby. I'm excited. You're excited. We are all excited for week one, day one of college basketball. It has been a long time since Gonzaga and Baylor played for a national championship. It has been longer since you got to sit in the arena and watch your favorite team, but probably my favorite sport. I do love college football too, I'm not going to lie. But probably my favorite sport is back today with fans, Champions Classic, Kansas, Michigan State, Kentucky, Duke. So much to get into, so much to discuss, so much to talk about. Here is the rundown of today's show. Today is your college basketball preview show, okay? No college football, no coach no talking the LSU coach and search. No talking Scott Frost, who kept his job but somehow fired half of his staff with two games left. I don't get it, but that's not for today's show. Today is all college basketball. Today I am going to talk about my Final Four picks, my national championship picks, my national player of the year, and I will give a quick preview of the Champions Classic tonight. Again, Michigan State, Kansas, and of course, Duke, Kentucky. Don't know if you heard, final year for Coach K. And then I'll also say this on top of that. We got ourselves a heck of a guest. A few weeks ago, we had Marcus Carr, point guard Texas. You know who we got today? Hunter Dickinson, center Michigan State. This kid is a stud. This kid is a rock star. He was the leading scorer and rebounder last year on a team that made the Elite Eight, that won the Big Ten, that had a number one seed, that to be blunt, was good enough to win the national championship had Isaiah Livers not gotten hurt. I bring it all up to say I am so fired up. Hunter Dickinson will join me later. But let's get into the official Torres College Basketball Preview episode, episode 453. So much to discuss. Let's talk about it. And before I get to my final four picks, let me just say one quick thing. I think we are headed for about as good of a college basketball season as we have had in decades, okay? And that sounds crazy, that sounds like hyperbole, that sounds like Torres trying to hype up his favorite sport, college basketball, whatever. But here's the bottom line. Look, college basketball is kind of a crazy sport, and I talk about it all the time. We're never going back to 1989 when the best players stayed for four years in college basketball. When Patrick Ewing dominates as a freshman and decides to stay for three more years. When Shaquille O'Neal, I forget the stat, I looked it up one day, Shaquille O'Neal averaged like 29 and 20 as a sophomore and came back for another year of college basketball. Those days are never going to happen again. But I do think there was a bizarre confluence of events, a perfect storm, if you will, that led us to about as much talent staying and coming to college basketball as I can ever remember since I've been covering this sport for about 10, 12 years. And I just think it has led to a loaded group of teams. I was actually talking, by the way, uh, to some professional better friends of mine that I work with during the college basketball season. They said the same thing. 
They never remember a season where there is so much good talent across the sport in college basketball. So the question becomes, where did all this talent come from? And it's pretty simple. Like I said, it is a perfect confluence of events that has led us here, okay? Because the bottom line is this. We all know that this past offseason in college basketball and college athletics really as a whole led to this wide-ranging change of things, and all this stuff happened at once. First of all, we had the one-time transfer rule. And it is hard to find many teams, although one of the teams in my Final Four is actually one of the few, um, that have not been impacted by the one-time transfer rule. Texas completely built its roster for Chris Beard's first year with the one-time transfer rule. Kentucky completely built a disappointing team with via the one-time transfer rule. Severe Wheeler, C.J. Frederick, Oscar Shibway, who was obviously there last year, Kellen Grady, etc. You go through everyone in college basketball. It is hard to find very many teams at all that did not use the transfer portal to their advantage. Even a school like UCLA that brought back a ton, and we're going to talk about it in a second, they had one major hole to fill. Three years ago, there was no way to fill it. There was no way to go out and find a high school player in June to fill a need. UCLA was able to do it. So it's the one-time transfer rule. It's also NIL. NIL is a game changer. It is. And I will readily admit, I said it on Monday's show, sometimes in life I got to take L's and I was worried about NIL. How would it work? How would it benefit or, or hurt the non-revenue sports? What would happen? What could happen to college sports? Was it going to ruin college sports as we know it? Yes, I was the guy that was worried about how it was going to ruin college sports. I was wrong. I think it has been a net positive. I think it's helped across the board. I have been amazed at the charitable... Um, you know, spirit of these college athletes, whether it's De'Ara King and, you know, you could criticize Spencer Rattler for a lot, but a lot of his NIL money is going to his teammates. Uh, we see it in basketball. I'm happy to see that the non-revenue sports, that the women's sports are getting opportunities, but at the highest level of college basketball, it helped. The fact that these kids know that I am not going to have to live broke, that I am not going to have to take money under the table from some sketchy guy to pay my bills and to get dinner at night, that is a factor in this, and it has been talked about by a lot of guys that have come into college basketball this year. Hunter Dickinson from Michigan will talk about it in a minute. He will tell you how name NIL led him to return to college basketball for a year. Johnny Juzang, I think it helped. I saw Kentucky. How about Kentucky had like eight guys whose pictures were in Times Square on, two, on Monday morning. Jack Pilgrim, my buddy, tweeted out the picture. The bottom line is, NIL has been great for this sport. It has allowed the older players to come to college basketball, and it has allowed the freshmen to say, you know what, I could go to that G League and play in front of 500 people on any given night, but let me come to college basketball where now I know I'm not going to be broke, I know I'm going to make at least some money, and let me play in front of 20,000 fans at Rupp Arena. Let me play in front of 18,000 fans at FedEx Forum. Let me play in front of 15,000 fans, 18,000 fans, whatever it is at the KFC Yum Center. Let me play at Kansas, Duke, UCLA, Oregon, Houston, wherever it is, Alabama, Arkansas. So we have name image likeness. We have the, uh, the one-time transfer rule. And then finally, we have the extra year of COVID eligibility. There are a lot of guys that could not play college basketball if it was not for that extra year. Marcus Carr, who may be the most important player at Texas this year. Texas, I love Texas. We'll talk about them in a minute. They're number three in my preseason poll. He wouldn't be here if it wasn't for, for the, the, the COVID waiver that allowed everybody to get the extra year of eligibility. Um, you look at Remy Martin at Kansas, played four years at Arizona State, gets an extra year, decides to go to Kansas. You look at Kentucky with Kellen Grady. You think that wasn't a factor in him going to Kentucky? That was a huge factor. He had an extra year of eligibility and wanted to play. Arkansas, Chris Likes, extra year of eligibility, wanted to play. So you go on and on and on down the list. And I think, to me, that speaks to the single biggest story in college basketball coming into this year. The single biggest story, to me, is the fact that we have so many good players in this sport. And I look at my top 25, and it's insane. I mean, think about a team like Illinois. 
They bring back an All-American in Kofi Coburn, and I know I talked about it last week. Yes, he is not eligible for the first three games of the season. It's stupid. But they bring back an All-American. They bring back one of the best young guards in this sport. They bring back everybody other than Io DeSumo. I have them at like 13 or 14 in my preseason poll. You you take that same roster, excuse me, last year, I think I have them 6, 7, 8 in the country. Um, you know, Houston brings back a bunch of pieces off their Final Four team. How about this? Alabama returns its top two scores off the SEC regular season champ, postseason champ, Adam McDonald's All-American and J.D. Davison, add a really talented transfer in Noah Gurley. I have about 15, 16 in my poll. That is on top of Kansas, Villanova, Gonzaga, UCLA, all of these teams that I believe are really, really, really talented. And so that is my biggest takeaway. And I should say, by the way, if you guys or girls have any specific college basketball questions, you can always hit me up at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. You can DM me there, DM me at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. And I'll bring these questions to the next episode on Wednesday and we can, can continue this conversation. But speaking of continuing the conversation, let's get to your boy Torres's final four picks this year. Um, and it's funny, for the longtime listeners of the show, you guys tease me about two things. Um, I have historically, it feels like about eight years in a row, I have picked Gonzaga to win the national championship. And I don't know why. I think the stuff just works out. You know, you go back to 2019, that season, they had Rui Hachimura, they had Brandon Clark, they had Killian Tilly, they had Corey Kispert, they had Joe LIA. They had five guys that played in the NBA. That was the year they ended up losing in the Elite Eight to Texas Tech. But I did have Gonzaga winning the national championship that year. I had Gonzaga winning the national championship last year. Gonzaga is not in my Final Four this year. So let me go through my Final Four in reverse order in teams that I think are least likely to most likely to get there. And not even least likely. Maybe maybe the right word is from most surprising to least surprising. Or from least surprising to most surprising. The first one, and this is going to shock you. And I promise you, and by the way, before I even get into it, if I don't have your team in my Final Four, it doesn't mean that they stink. It just means that I think there are like 18 to 20 teams that are really, really, really good this year that could all go on that magical four-game run, get to the Final Four in New Orleans. Uh, I will be there. We're going to throw a crazy party in New Orleans when we get there. But I hope your team makes it. This is only my preseason predictions, and you're always welcome to disagree and yell and scream at me. I would also say, by the way, I'm not going to be one of those idiot media reporters that just picks four really obvious teams um, because I don't think that's fun, and that's not what the tournament is about. In the history of the NCAA tournament, there's only been one year where we have had all four number one seeds get in, and so I'm not going to be the guy that picks Gonzaga, UCLA, and whoever else, Texas and Villanova, or whoever the top four is, or four out of the top five, or four out of the top six. That's no fun. Teams come out of nowhere. Teams play well in the tournament. Matchups happen. And part of the fun is projecting who is going to be better than you think, all that good stuff. So with that said, let's get to my first Final Four team for the 2022 NCAA tournament. It is, drumroll please, it is the UConn Huskies. And I am the only person in America that has UConn in the Final Four. And what I will tell you is this. I know y'all think this is a homer pick. I promise you, this is not a homer pick from your boy Torres, okay? And to backtrack and to explain why I have UConn, I think you need to know a little history of who I am, what I'm about, and why I might be the best college basketball prognosticator on the planet. Every year for about four years, I have had this insane track record of projecting teams in the preseason that end up being much better than people think, Okay. Um, every single year I have picked a team in the last four years that comes out of nowhere and surprises everybody. In 2018, I picked Xavier to go to the Final Four. You can look it up. It's on my Twitter page. There's no hiding it. I picked Xavier to go to the Final Four. Now, they did not go to the Final Four in 2018, but if you remember, they did win the Big East regular season championship, and they did get the first number one seed in school history. So I took a team that nobody had in the top 10, 12, 15 in the preseason I put them in my final four. They had their best season ever. In 2019, this may be the feather of Torres' cap, and I'm going to get back to UConn in a second, but it's going to help explain everything. 2019, I picked Auburn to go to the final four in the preseason. Look it up, Google it, search it, Twitter it, whatever. And guess what happened? Auburn went to the final four in 2019. That was the year they made the final four in Minneapolis. How did it happen? I predicted it. We'll explain why in a minute. 2020. 
So this was, of course, two years ago. I picked Baylor to go to the Final Four. Only person in the national media that had Baylor going to the Final Four. There was no Final Four because there was no NCAA tournament. But Baylor, what'd they do? They won like 26 games in a row. They didn't lose from mid-November until the end of uh, you know, they did not lose from mid-November until the end of February. They went some insane stretch of like 24, 25 games without losing a game. And so what do those three teams, Xavier in 2018, Auburn in 2019, Baylor in 2020 have in common? They all had a really good team the year before that wasn't quite at that elite level. And then they brought basically everybody back. And then they took the next step in a big way the following year. And that's an important variable in this because we think about college basketball and we think about the five-star recruits, the Jalen Durans, the Amani Bateses, the Ty Ty Washingtons. We think about the returnees, the transfers, but there is something to be said for these teams that return completely intact and get better. So tell, let me tell you a little bit about UConn. My alma mater, readily admit, it looks like a homer pick. I promise you it's not. UConn does lose one key player. His name is James Booknight. He was a lottery pick. He currently plays for the Charlotte Hornets. He was a top 15 pick. And so you might say, well, Torres, you just said that, uh, the, 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 that your favorite teams return all their best players. Well, I didn't say they return everybody. And the thing about UConn, they did lose James Booknight, but they literally return every other player on the roster that played. But here's the catch. James Booknight got hurt, had surgery in the middle of the season last year, and UConn really struggled without him. A funny thing happened. I think he missed about eight games. About the sixth, seventh, eighth game, they figured it out, and they were playing some of their best basketball right as James Booknight returned. And to be blunt, they never really figured out how to work him back into the lineup, not because Dan Hurley's not a good coach, not because James Booknight's a bad player, but because you had all these guys that took on new roles, then they had to go back to their old roles when James Booknight came back but they were playing really good basketball, and now all of those guys are going to go into the roles that they had when James Booknight got hurt last year. And so who does UConn have? Who do you need to know? First of all, Tyrese Martin was a star when James Booknight went out. It's funny. I listen to all these college basketball preview shows and blah, blah, blah. Uh, no one talked about Tyrese Martin for some reason, and I don't really know why. Nobody really I, – I don't, I don't get it. Uh, Tyrese Martin was awesome. He scored double figures every game without James Booknight, and he emerged as a star for UConn when James Booknight went out. On top of that, quickly developing big man named Adama Sinogo. You also have R.J. Cole, who is a very steady point guard type player. He's more of a combo guard, but I thought he actually played really, really, really well down the stretch. He was a transfer that got eligible last year. It was his first season playing at the high major level, but played really well late, especially in the Big East tournament when he had 14 points and eight assists in a Big East tournament win over DePaul. And so you add those guys in with a couple freshmen, but here's the catch with UConn too. UConn, I would say UConn and Villanova are the two teams that probably had more advantage with the extra year of eligibility internally than anybody else. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. There's a lot of good players that decide to use their extra year somewhere else. UConn had two very important players decide that they were supposed to graduate and they wanted to come back and be a Husky for one more year. The first one, was a guy by the name of Isaiah Whaley, who statistically, if you look at it, only averaged eight points and six rebounds per game last year. If you watch the games, though, this is the exact kind of guy that you need to win big in college basketball. Hustle, defense, energy. He's long enough to alter shots at the rim, even though he's only about 6'8", 6'9". Played, he's the last, him and, him and this other guy I'm about to mention, two of the last guys that played for Kevin Ollie. That guy, four years of college basketball, could have left could have gone pro, could have played somewhere overseas, made some money, wanted to come back to UConn for one more season. And then I just mentioned the other name, Tyler Polly. He's battled injuries, but he comes back after shooting 36% from three last year. And the year before that, he was even better, shooting over 40% from three, shot 38-plus percent from three in his first three years. And so what I see is a UConn team that really played well when James Booknight was out late in the process, they return entirely intact. And they are the type of team that I think when they get to the NCAA tournament, they have tournament experience as a core last year. They lost in the first round to Maryland. Now, 
They're coming back. They're ready to go. They're ready to play, and they are ready. Um, I, I I believe to 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 you know shock the world is a little bit strong, but to prove everybody that they're better than they are. Um, I don't think they're going to be a one seed. I don't think they're a team that we'll be talking about maybe in December, January, February as a quote-unquote national championship contender. But I think they're going to be a, that that three seed that just gives everybody hell. And you look up and you're like, UConn's in the Final Four. What? UConn is my first Final Four pick. Second Final Four pick. This one's a little more obvious. It is. Drumroll, please. <laughs> It is the UCLA Bruins, um, and I've said this pretty consistently since last season ended and since this entire team returned intact. They feel like a pretty consensus number one team to me in college basketball, and I don't even think you can make a strong argument that they should be anything other than the I don't think you can make a strong argument for anyone other to be number one than UCLA. First of all, I understand that they had a run late in the season after they struggled in the regular season. What you need to know all those teams that they lost to at the end of the regular season were good. And it's worth mentioning, they lost their best player, Chris Smith, in the middle of the season. They learned to play without him. End of the season, here is who they lost to. Colorado, everyone talks about they lost four straight games going into the NCAA tournament. Lost to Colorado, NCAA tournament team. Lost to USC at the buzzer. USC made the Elite Eight with Evan Mobley and Isaiah Mobley. Uh, lost to Oregon, Sweet 16 team that could have gone to the Elite Eight, but they lost to USC instead. And then they lost to Oregon in the Pac-12 tournament, which won the Pac-12 tournament and went to the Elite Eight. So for everyone that says, they stunk down the stretch. Well, they lost to four NCAA tournament teams, three of which made the Sweet 16, two of which made the Elite Eight in the final couple weeks of the season. They figured it out, they got hot, and now they returned the entire team intact. And so what I can tell you is this. I don't ever remember, or I can't remember the last time, that a power conference team made a final four and then returned every single player of substance the next year, it's also worth noting that they added Peyton Watson, five-star McDonald's All-American, and it's also worth noting that they had one real hole, and that was at the backup big position. And again, they used the transfer portal to address it. They got Miles Johnson a starter at Rutgers last year. And if you remember, Rutgers made the NCAA tournament. And so I look at this team. I don't really see what their faults are, what their problems are, what their issues are. They have everyone back from a Final Four team. They have three guys that I believe could be drafted in the first round this coming year of the NBA draft. Peyton Watson, who I just mentioned. Uh, Johnny Juzang, who is a star, probably the most recognizable player in college basketball. And Jaime Jaquez, who is kind of an emerging kind of hybrid wing, sort of a power forward, but he plays on the wing, whatever. But I'm telling you, he's getting buzz as a first-round NBA draft pick this year. What I also like about UCLA, what I love about him actually, all these guys returned knowing what their roles would be, okay? So you have guys on the bench that are third, fourth, fifth-year guys. David Singleton. Um, the other kid, I'm blanking on his name. Who's the, who's the lefty? Jules Bernard. I don't know why I blanked on his name for half a second. His mom's a famous makeup artist. Google that crap. They return everybody, but even the role players kind of understand, I'm going to stay in the same role, but I want to be part of this program. David Singleton, as an example, he could go start at, you know, some Mountain West school. Like, he could start at any Mountain West school. He could go to San Diego State and play 38 minutes a game. But he's like, no, I want to be at UCLA. I want to compete for national championships. Not to say San Diego State can't. I'm just saying. The point I'm trying to make, UCLA to me is a Final Four team. They have as good a shot as anybody to win the national championship. My third Final Four team, so I have UConn, UCLA. Third Final Four team, drum roll please. It is the Texas Longhorns. Yes, that is right, the University of Texas. And look, I've talked about Texas a ton this offseason, but I think it's worth revisiting everything that we've talked about. First of all, when Chris Beard left Texas Tech to take Texas, I said this at the time. I said Chris Beard would not have left Texas Tech. Remember, Texas Tech was one shot away from winning a national championship in 2019 against Virginia Tech. Against Virginia, excuse me. They make one defensive stop. They get one rebound. Game over. Texas Tech is your national champion. And so if you get a school in a Power 5, Power 6 conference to the national championship game where you're one play away, you're about at the ceiling of what a program can do in college basketball. 
And so you're not going to leave that job unless you're going to a job that you believe you can win national championships every single season. Every single year you step on the court, you have a chance to win it all. And while we think of those jobs as Kansas, North Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA, Duke, Chris Beard thinks of Texas that way. And I've talked a lot about Texas and Chris Beard in the offseason, but what's worth noting with Chris Beard is this. Chris Beard, um, when he came to Texas, he didn't come for second place. He didn't come to finish behind Kansas and have a good season and get a pat on the shoulder. He went out and hired probably, I believe, probably the second highest paid coaching staff in the country behind Kentucky. Um, He hired Rodney Terry as his lead assistant. Rodney Terry was the head coach at UTEP. You know how much money you have to pay a guy to to leave a head coaching job to come to be an assistant coach? He hired Jarence Howard, who was Bill Self's lead assistant at Kansas. You know how much money you have to pay a guy who is Bill Self's lead assistant to come to where you are? And then he hired Ulrich Malagi, Ulrich Malagi, who was with him at Texas Tech and was his lead recruiter. And what happened is, what I've talked about quite a bit on this show, he had an offseason for the ages this past offseason in Austin. They signed six marquee transfers. I've talked about him a ton. We don't have to spend a ton of time on him. But Marcus Carr, all Big Ten guard. Timmy Allen, all Pac-12 wing at Utah. These are all transfers. Marcus Carr was at Minnesota. Timmy Allen was at Utah. Uh, Dylan Dissu, who is not yet cleared to play, um, he played at Vanderbilt last year, 15 points, nine rebounds per game, leading rebounder in the SEC. He also dealt with all sorts of double teams, still average 15 and nine. Christian Bishop, who was a starter on Creighton's Sweet 16 team last year, remember in the season of 2019-2020 when there was no NCAA tournament, Creighton finished in the top 10 nationally and won the Big Ten regulars, Big East regular season championship. Christian Bishop is now at Texas. Trey Mitchell averaged 18 and 8 at UMass, and it's not just because he was at UMass. He was formerly recruited by all of the Big East when he came out of high school. And finally, Devin Askew, top 40 recruit coming out of high school, played at Kentucky last year. On top of signing six big time transfers, on top of that, they also went out and added, or kept, I should say, their two leading scorers from last year, Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones. And so you now have a situation where you have seven guys who basically averaged double figures, played big minutes, big roles at Power 5 schools last year. I think you can legitimately make a case. Forget one and done this. Forget 10 years down the NBA road that. I am just telling you, I think you can make the case that Texas has the most talented roster in college basketball this year. Now, the biggest question, can you keep all those guys happy? And what I would tell you is this. I might be drinking the Kool-Aid, but Marcus Carr was on this podcast about three weeks ago. Marcus Carr, their starting point guard, and he said, We're all here to just win. I didn't come back to college basketball to finish in third place and average 22 points per game. I came back to win. I came back to get better. I came back to compete at the highest level. And so I truly believe that Texas is going to be in the Final Four. My fourth Final Four team, is it going to be your school? Gonzaga, Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee, Oregon, Arizona. Is it going to be your school? North Carolina, Duke. My fourth number one, my fourth Final Four team is this. Drum roll, please. It is the Kansas Jayhawks. And here's the thing about Kansas. You know no one is more critical of Bill Self. You know that I've been not very happy with how the media portrays Will Wade, Sean Miller, um, their assistant coaches, Book Richardson, But, oh, Bill Self gets a pass. And not only does Bill Self get a pass, he gets a lifetime contract. But one thing I've never disputed. Bill Goat, Bill Bill Goat, Bill Goat. I just called him Bill Goat. Bill Self is an X's and O's genius. He's not the Goat. That's probably like Phil Jackson or Larry Brown or somebody. But Bill Self, who I just called Bill Goat on this podcast, uh, Bill Self is an X's and O's genius. And the one thing you can say about Bill Self is this. Bill Self is at his absolute best as a college basketball coach when two things happen. When he has a roster full of guys that have been with him for multiple years. And where he is not good is when he goes out and recruits these one-and-done guys, Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre, Joel Embiid, whatever. It's not to say they're not talented players, but Kansas historically has been their best when they just have really good college players who have played under Bill Self, who know what they have to do, who know their responsibilities, who know whatever. And so why do I bring it up? Well, Kansas returns four starters off last year's team. And remember, as much as Kansas struggled 
in a weird COVID year, they still finish second in the Big 12 behind only Baylor, the eventual national champions, and they were one of only two teams to beat Baylor all year. This year, they returned four of their top five scores. Ochai Abaji is back, who I believe will be a first-round NBA pick this year. David McCormick, kind of a burly back-to-the-basket center. Jalen Wilson, who was actually suspended for the Champions Classic uh, drunk driving incident. Don't make light of that. It's not funny. We get how serious it is. He is out for three games to start the year. And then Christian Brown, who averaged just under 10 points per game last year. You add to that mix Remy Martin. And if you're a college basketball junkie, you know. The first few days of the Remy Martin, Bill Self era have not been good. They were beefing on the sidelines in uh, one of their big exhibition games a few weeks ago. But I bring it up to say, they're going to figure it out. Remy Martin's another one of these guys that histori- he, he didn't come back to college to just jack up shots. He came back to win, to get better, to learn. But he's got to break a lot of bad habits from playing under Bobby Hurley, okay? One thing you can't argue. Arizona State was probably the most disappointing team in college basketball last year, and historically they've had really high highs and really low lows under Bobby Hurley. Start really well, finish really poorly, and so Remy Martin is now in a different place. But Bill Self has a veteran squad, a group of older guys that have played with him forever, and I think they make the Final Four. Who's my national champion? Drumroll, please. I have... Kansas over Texas for my national championship. And that could potentially be, by the way, the fourth time that those two schools play because they'll play twice in the regular season. For those of you scoring at home, for those of you who are looking to circle some dates on the calendar, they play for the first time in Austin on Monday, February 7th, Big Monday. My boy Fran Fraschillo will probably be there. And they play on the final day of the regular season in Lawrence, Rock Chalk Jayhawk uh, against Texas. But look, It comes down to in a year where there are so many good teams, this is a veteran team, they have a bunch of guys who have played in NCAA tournaments, and I just like the combination of coach and player. What I would finally say, I'm not going to, I just explained why I like Kansas, so I'm not going to repeat why I like Kansas here, but what I would say is, this year in college basketball is so freaking good. And so, don't, I mean, my picks are awesome, obviously. But what I'm saying is, would it surprise me if Kentucky made a run, if Duke made a run? I think Duke's going to be really good this year, okay? Um, If North Carolina made a run, if Baylor makes another run, I think there's some teams on the fringes. Oklahoma State would make a run. I think they're going to be really good in the regular season. They're obviously not eligible for the tournament. Texas Tech, I think, could be really good, although there's some stuff going on with TJ Shannon. So I bring all this up to say, if your team's not included in the mix, doesn't mean I don't like them. It just means that those are the teams that I like going into the preseason, but I have Kansas over Texas, UConn, UCLA in the Final Four. Really quickly, uh, my National Player of the Year. You're going to hear from him in about 15 minutes. His name is Hunter Dickinson, and he is a center at Michigan. And I'm actually kind of genuinely blown away by how little coverage that he has gotten over the course of this offseason. And one thing I don't like about college basketball media is I do think there's a lot of groupthink. I don't know if it's like this in the NBA media. I I mean, obviously it is, right? But college basketball seems to be especially bad where one guy thinks one thing and then everybody thinks one thing. And one thing I've noticed this year, it seems like everybody has Drew Timmy from Gonzaga's National Player of the Year. I don't think Drew Timmy's bad. I do think he took a little bit of an advantage of... Um, you know, a great NCAA tournament. He was awesome against UCLA in that national semifinal, and so that's part of it. He put up great stats. He was the leading scorer and leading rebounder on a team that was undefeated last season. But a couple things. like I think Drew Timmy's going to be awesome. But one, he's going to be splitting stats with Chet Holmgren. Two, on top of that, um, the guard play is just not going to be as good as Gonzaga. I know they still have Andrew Nemhard. I was actually impressed by Andrew Nemhard and how he adjusted his game after coming from Florida. But Corey Kispert's gone. Joel, I my guy, my guy, Joel, he's gone too. And so the guard play, there's a lot of young guards at Gonzaga. So I don't buy Drew Timmy as this, it seems like everyone's like the consensus national player of the year. On the other side, how about Hunter Dickinson? 14.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game last year. He was the leading scorer and the leading rebounder on a team that won the Big Ten and was a number one seed in the NCAA tournament and made an Elite Eight, and nobody is talking about him. I mean, this guy took over games. He dominated games. And I understand there's other good candidates. Kofi Coburn's a really good candidate. If he wins it, I won't be shocked. Um, You know, whoever. uh, 
I don't know, uh, Marcus Carr, Amani Bates, like whoever, like I wouldn't be shocked. But to me, Hunter Dickinson, how often do you see a guy as the leading scorer and leading rebounder as a freshman on a number one seed and that guy comes back? I think when you hear from Hunter Dickinson in a few minutes, you'll be impressed, but he is my national player of the year. My runner-up is Paolo Bancaro, the freshman at Duke. That kid is a stud. I'm just telling you, you can poke at Duke, you can make fun of Duke, you can whatever. That kid is so freaking good. You're going to be blown away, I believe, on Tuesday night for the Champions Classic. Really quick, a couple other things, then we will preview the Champions Classic and get to Hunter Dickinson. The first one, I want to give you two teams that I think are a little bit underrated, one team that I think is a little bit overrated. So underrated. My only category for underrated is this. Two teams that I think will be better. Two teams that I don't have in my top 25 that I think will be better than people anticipate. The first one, I think you guys know where I'm going. My boy Mike Woodson and the Indiana Hoosiers. And I've spent a lot of time talking about Mike Woodson in Indiana over the summer. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But for people who forget, Mike Woodson took over. I bashed it. I, I had a funeral. I had a moment of silence for Indiana basketball. This guy's been awesome. And what he did was he retained all of their key players while also kind of filling the weaknesses that this team very clearly had. Specifically, they did not have enough three-point shooting. They had Xavier Johnson, a transfer from Pitt. They had Tamar Bates, a five-star guard originally from Kansas City who played at IMG Academy last year. And you start going down the list, this team returns an awful lot of talent and they have an awful lot of uh, additions that I think are really going to help this team. And so Indiana is the one team that I think is going to be really improved. The other one is the Arizona Wildcats. And Arizona was actually really good last year, um, but because they were ineligible for the NCAA tournament, people stopped paying attention. Now, granted, James Akinjo decided to leave the school. He transferred to Baylor. He was their leading point guard, led the Pac-12 in assists. But they have a kid named Kirk Krissa who will step in, and I think Kirk Krissa, I believe is how you say it, I think he'll be really, really, really good. Um, but what I would also say about Kirk Krissa is that they also have some real talent around him. Uh, they have a kid named Ben Matherin on the wing. Some will call him Benedict Matherin. I've been told the people that know him call him Ben. No big deal. But Benedict Matherin, Ben Matherin, people were projecting him as a two-way wing NBA caliber player. Some believe he would have been a first-round pick had he decided to declare for the draft last year. And then also, they have Asulis Tubelis down low. Um, you know, this was a kid I can tell you when he committed, he's from, I believe, Lithuania originally. And when he committed, I was told by people at Arizona, they said, look, you guys don't know who he is. But if this kid was American, he would have been a McDonald's All-American top 20 prospect. We believe he's going to be really good. Uh, and if you look at the stats, the stats largely backed it up. I thought he was really good as a freshman last year playing for the Arizona Wildcats on a team that was dealing with a lot of drama and a lot of controversy. He was actually pretty good, averaging 12.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. He was their leading rebounder in the Pac-12, a good Pac-12 I think Arizona is going to blow up really quickly. One team I think will be a little bit disappointing. I'm just going to be honest and disappointing is relative. I think it's Gonzaga. And in my most recent top 25, I had them at number two. If I had them do it over, I think I'd have them at five, six, seven. And so when I say disappointing with Gonzaga, I don't mean that they're going to be like not make the tournament, but most people have them as number one in the country. AP has them at number one in the country. I don't buy it. And let me explain why. First of all, they lost all their guards except for Andrew Nemhart. And I do believe that this is kind of a transitional year for the program, but they have Drew Timmy, they have Chet Holmgren, and so everybody just kind of thinks of those two guys. couple of things that do concern me. First of all, um, Tommy Lloyd, who I didn't even mention is the new head coach at Arizona, he was the backbone of that program behind Mark Few. And I do believe that without him, the program is going to suffer a little bit because he's like when a great offensive or defensive coordinator leaves in college basketball, in college football. He did everything. He was the lead recruiter. He was the list. He was the that. He helped with game plans. I've sat behind the Gonzaga bench at games. He was actually doing some of the substitutions. He was doing some of the play calls. And so you have that. And on top of that, I think some of those developmental players that Gonzaga would get turn into three, four-year players. I don't know if they're still going to get them. Because he was the international guru. He was the guy that found the Rui Hachimuras, the Joel Ayayis, the, the Killian Tillies, guys like that. All three of which, by the way, are in the NBA right now. And is Gonzaga still going to get those guys? What also concerns me, outside of Andrew Nemhard, um, their guards are really young. 
They have Rasir Bolton, a transfer from Iowa State, who is not young but has never played winning basketball anywhere he's gone. And then they have Nolan Hickman, former commit at the University of Kentucky, and they also have Hunter Salas, a top 20 guard. My problem is we all know young guards don't win in college basketball, and what I'm going to be interested in at Gonzaga is this. It's a program where everyone has bought into the general good of the entire program, right? Everyone has bought into the idea that we are we are here for a greater good than individual stats. What happens now that all these guys are young, and I think most of them all think they're going to be one and done. Nolan Hickman, kind of a fringe five-star McDonald's All-American. Hunter Salas, a top 20 recruit. Those kids think they're going to be one and done. So what happens when they're not that? And so I, I don't think Gonzaga is going to be bad by any stretch. But they play Texas the first weekend. They play UCLA and Duke in Vegas over Thanksgiving. Two games I'm going to be at, by the way. Shout out to your boy. Um, and I, I think they're going to struggle. And I think we're looking at them as maybe instead of a one seed, I think we're looking at them as a two or three seed, uh, maybe a four seed. And I just don't think it's going to be a vintage team. I think they're going to be really good. I think they'll make the Sweet 16 because they always make the Sweet 16. But I don't think this is a team that's good enough to win a national championship, not in this year with all these really good players. All right, lastly, I've somehow gone 40 minutes already talking college basketball. Really quickly, Champions Classic on Tuesday. A couple quick thoughts on these two games. And I, what I will say is this. Some of you guys love my college fo- basketball betting picks. Um, they were red hot in 2019-2020. Last year, I really thought that they kind of struggled. And what it was was this. I was so hot um, in 2019-2020 when the NCAA tournament was canceled that I felt like I forced it late um, you know, I felt like I forced it early last year, and what ended up happening was, um, you know, I got behind the eight ball, and I didn't, you know, I never really caught up in terms of the betting picks. So I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to scale back, I'm going to watch teams for a few weeks, and then I'll start giving out picks later in the year. So with that said, I'm going to largely stay away from the college basketball betting picks in, in night one of college basketball But with that said, let's get into the two Champions Classic games. Let's talk about the two games that we are all going to be watching on Tuesday night, and let's discuss. The first one, of course, is my national champion, Kansas, at Michigan State. I'll be honest. This is one I don't know what to make out of. Even if I was giving out betting picks, I I wouldn't feel confident in either side. Kansas, as I mentioned, Jalen Wilson, their second leading returning scorer, he will be out this game, third leading returning scorer, average 12 points per game, he will be out this game because of a DUI arrest. Nothing to make light of, nothing to make fun of, there's no jokes, there's nothing. It's serious, he suspended three games, good for the school for making that decision. That matters. What also matters, Remy Martin and Bill Self were button heads like crazy. And so I think it's going to get there with Remy Martin, but I'm not sold that it happens overnight. And so I think it could take time. I think it could be a while. And because of it, um, I don't feel great about Kansas in this game. What I also say is I don't feel great about Michigan State in this game. Michigan State, if you remember last year, like Kentucky, like Duke, struggled. Um, but unlike Duke and Kentucky, they did make the NCAA tournament where they very famously lost to UCLA in a game they were control- in control of. And UCLA, of course, went to go on to the Final Four. What's interesting about this team, though, they lost their two leading scorers, Aaron Henry and Josh Lankford. Uh, third leading scorer, Joey Hauser's back. Fourth leading scorer, uh, Rocket Watts decided to transfer. Um, and I just don't really know what to expect from this team. They have a bunch of guys that have played roles, but none of them have really been a star. And they have some good freshmen, but I don't know that freshmen on night one under Tom Izzo are going to be awesome. They have a freshman named Max, Max Christie, who I actually really like. I've really enjoyed watching him play through the years. But again, is Michigan State the kind of place that you think of when you think of freshmen on opening night in the Champions Classic going for 26 points in a win? So this is just one, bet it, have fun. I'm good, man. I'm just going to watch this game and enjoy the hell out of it. Uh, and I should mention, by the way, we're going to have a full recap of the Champions Classic on Wednesday's show. Uh, but with that said, I'm staying away from that one. Finally, Duke, Kentucky. Duke is a one-point favorite. And what I would say is it's another one. I'm just going to kick back, chill, and watch the game. Looking at Duke, um, what I would say about Duke is, first of all, I said Paolo Bancaro is a stud, man. Like, like, like there are freshmen that come in overrated, and I say this all the time. Like, I told you guys last year, Kate Cunningham was going to be awesome. I told you Jalen Suggs was going to be awesome. And I've told you other guys I didn't think were going to be very good. And for the most part, I've been right. Paolo's one of those guys. He is a dude. He is a guy. He is a difference maker. And, like, he's probably the, maybe the most talented player in college basketball. I have Hunter Dickinson win a national player of the year. Wouldn't be surprised if it was Paolo. 
I only bring it up to say they are one-point favorite. But the other thing about Duke, they return a bunch of other guys that have game experience too. Wendell Moore, who has been there seemingly forever, former five-star guy, you keep waiting for it to click for him. It has not clicked yet. Uh, We'll see what happens with him. You also have on top of that Jeremy Roach, a point guard who I thought played well late in the season. And then on top of that, you also have Mark Williams, a big guy, and A.J. Griffin, a five-star wing, who we thought would be out for this game, but now looks like he will be back. So you have a bunch of pieces, really talented, curious how they fit. Of course, Coach K's final game. And then you have Kentucky. And listen, let me just say this about Kentucky really quick. I saw this big thing, Kentucky struggled against Miles College. I watched the game. Miles College was absurd from three for about the first 18 minutes of that game, and then Kentucky ran away with it. If you're not hitting one-handed, off-one-foot threes, Kentucky wins that game by 30. And, of course, I tweeted that, and I had Louisville fans, oh, you're such a homer. Shut up. I'm just telling you how it is. So I don't really know what to expect from this game. I think what will be good for Kentucky is Jacob Toppin, who I believe is the player best equipped to guard Paolo Bancaro, played in that exhibition game and played well. Keon Brooks is playing well. Um, Oscar Shibway appears as though he's a little bit banged up. I have no great feel. I would probably lean Kentucky, but I don't feel great about it. Whew. All right. I think that's it for this uh, segment of the Aerotora Sports Podcast. I just knocked out 42. Six minutes off the top of my head. That's what I do around here. I'm going to get out of here. Before we do, I want to remind you, first of all, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, I will be back on Wednesday with kind of a more traditional show of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And obviously we will have, as part of that show, reaction to the opening night of the Champions Classic, Kentucky Duke, Michigan State, Kansas, as I just told you. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, one, Hunter Dickinson is coming up. But if you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure to do so. iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, at uh, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com and follow the YouTube page. It is blowing up, but that's all for today's show. It's all for that segment. I really should say shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Now here's the fun part. Let's go hang with Hunter Dickinson, my preseason national player of the year who plays at Michigan. Joining me via Zoom, a uh, very special guest, excited to talk to this gentleman here. He is a nominee for the Jabbar Award for the nation's top center uh, via Hoopal. You can obviously see more about that at Hoopal.com, at Twitter on Hoopal, at Instagram on Hoopal, Michigan Center Jabbar Award. I'm just going to say it too, Hunter Dickinson, I don't know if this matters to you. You're my preseason national player of the year. So how you doing, Hunter Dickinson? You doing good, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So first of all, do, does that mean anything to you? I mean, we've met, we've known each other for a solid 30, 45 seconds now. I believe you're the best player in college basketball. Does that matter at all or, or not really? I mean, I, I appreciate um, the praise and all that. Um, obviously, you know, to be um, in contention for the Jabbar Award is something that's really special for me. Um, I've been watching college basketball ever since I was young and, you know, seeing you know, the great big men who have won that award um, is really special for me to be able to be nominated preseason for it. But obviously, um, it's a preseason award. And so that doesn't mean anything. That's just a projection. And so you got to go out there and, I guess, um, show show it on the court. Fantastic. Let's talk about you, yourself, your team a little bit. Um, you know, one, first of all, you know, I was thinking about this. So, so you are at Michigan last year. You guys have this incredible year. You go to the Elite Eight. Uh, but it was like such a weird year. And I think even now, less than seven, eight months after your last season ended, um, you know, we forget what it was like last year in college basketball, college sports, the NBA for most of the season, whatever. Um, you know, you do decide to come back. And, and I was listening to some other interviews. I know part of it was NBA feedback. You want to work on some things. But part of it was just the idea of, you know, experiencing Michigan, getting to do things a normal student would do. How are you enjoying your sophomore year outside of basketball, all the things that maybe you didn't get to do last year? And as a matter of fact, I'll take it a step further. 
I would love for you to tell us a little bit about what campus life, your individual personal life was like last year, as opposed to what it is now. Yeah, this year has been, you know, totally different than last year, obviously, because of, you know, the restrictions we were under um, last year. I think, you know, the team did a really good job of buying into, you know, staying safe and kind of playing for others off the court, I'd say. Uh, that's how I'd phrase it. You know, um, we didn't have any cases during the season of anybody contracting COVID. And so I think, you know, that speaks to the level of commitment that we had last year. And, you know, I remember last year um, after big wins, uh, we'd either go to Insomnia Cookie or me and Franz and Mike would go to a little fried chicken place um, like 15 minutes away. Those were our two ways to celebrate a big victory. And so um, that can kind of just shed light on how, you know, different last year was. And then this year, um, just going back to more of a normal year, it's been so fun to, you know, go to football games. Um, hockey games are really big here. Those are really fun. And the biggest thing I think is just going to class, um, interacting with, you know, my fellow classmates every day on my walks to class have been really fun for me and something that I really missed out on last year and wish, you know, I could have been able to experience last year as well. So what, what were you guys able to do? Because, you know, you go back to last season and, and you look at a lot of teams that historically have been great programs like a Michigan um, weren't able to kind of have the success that you guys were. Um, you know, the school within your state did not have the success they normally do, obviously, in East Lansing, Kentucky, Duke, Kansas. I mean, you go on and on down the list. I know you have a, a small sample size. That's all you know is what you guys experienced last year. But what do you believe allowed you guys to have success under circumstances that were less than ideal for everybody, but it seems like the Michigan Wolverines made the most of it? I think the biggest thing that led to the success was, you know, the camaraderie and the chemistry that we had, not only on the court, but I think off the court, um, because we were forced to, you know, not able to interact with the rest of the student body, um, you know, our only interactions were with our teammates, whether on the court and off the court. Um, so I think that kind of forced us to be together. And in turn, that led to, you know, really high chemistry on the court, you know, like everybody playing for each other because, you know, we were more than just teammates, you know, we we're friends and brothers. And so I think that's something that, you know, really impacted us positively and something that, you know, we're trying to build this year as well as that, that camaraderie and the chemistry that, you know, Coach Howard really preaches and, you know, because um, one of his main pillars of Michigan basketball is family. And so for us to, you know, become a family is something that is really important um, for me personally, because I think that's something that, you know, is highly um, transferable on the court is that kind of family atmosphere and that that bond you have with your teammates. You know, you talk about Coach Howard. Um, you know, most of us don't know him on nearly the level that you do. Just as an outside observer last year, um, thing that I've noticed that that I that strikes me and tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. The love that he, you know, all these coaches, like you said, every coach, oh, family, this family, we love it. We're a family, the brother. And it's like, you know, the way you see Coach Howard crying on the court, and that's no disrespect. It's a, it's a, it's a testament to his love of the school, you know, in tears when you guys win the Big Ten regular season title, in tears at his initial Michigan coaching stop. I mean, what is he like on a day to day basis? Because, you know, you're going to be gone probably here in a year, but he seems to be building something really, really, really sustainable and really seems like one of the bright young coaches in college basketball right now. For sure. Um, like, I just, the amount of love I have for Coach Howard is, you know, it's, it's not able to be put in words. That guy is, you know, family to me, um, you know, long after my playing days, whenever he needs something, you know, he's, I can be the first person he calls and I'll answer it. I'll do whatever, you know, for that guy. I really appreciate what he's done for me. Um, and I know my teammates can say the same. I mean, he's just a really genuine guy. Um, I think, you know, I've been around a lot of NBA people over the summer and then just in general um, when I was getting recruited by him and then when I committed to him, um, just people talking about how they know and have interacted with them. And the, the craziest thing is, like, out of all the people, not one person's ever had anything negative to say about the man. And so I think that just speaks to you know, the level of his character and the kind of person he is. And I think you're able to see that, you know, when he's coaching us and I think you can see the love we have for him as well as the love he has for us. And I, I think that's the biggest thing that 
you know, leads to that family atmosphere we have is it starts at the top with him and, you know, just filters down with the assistant coaches that we have and, you know, the players. I think everybody just really enjoys um, playing basketball under Coach Howard, and I think you can see that out there on the court. I know there were a lot of reasons, but, I mean, was that family, that brotherhood, that trust, was that part of the reason why you decided to come back this year? Yes, um, I think definitely my relationship with him, my trust um, in him, like, you know, whenever he says something, it's not really a, like a question of, you know, do I think it's going to work? Um, I'm like with him, it's pretty easy for me to just buy in totally on what he's saying because, you know, he's done everything that I wanted to do as a player. And so for me, I'd be a fool not to listen to whatever he says. And, you know, but just my relationship with him is, so incredible and something that I'm so thankful for. And hopefully, you know, I don't take advantage of it. And um, I just can just can't wait to, you know, have another season um, playing for him. Well, another thing uh, you'd be a fool not to take advantage of uh, name image likeness. And so uh, I was going to ask you about this, but for people who are watching this on YouTube, Hunter is wearing a t-shirt that says, Big Dickinson energy. You could go ahead, pump it up here if you want to a little bit. But uh, I think we all kind of get what the uh, the play on words there might be. But one, you know, where did the idea come from? If people are interested in buying a shirt, supporting you, supporting Michigan basketball, where could they go ahead and find those? Uh, the idea came last year um, because, you know, we weren't able to um, kind of benefit from name, image, and likeness. Um, somebody came up with it and was starting to sell, like, T-shirts and hoodies and stuff like that. And so, you know, I wasn't really planning on being able to use it, um, you know, in terms of, you know, benefiting me, being able to get paid for it. But then once uh, I knew I was coming back and the NCAA passed the NLI um, rules, um, I think that was the first thing I did was get this thing trademarked so I can start using it um, for merchandise and stuff like that, because I feel like, you know, it's a great um, opportunity for me to make money and you know, benefit from the rule change and stuff like that. Um, if you want to get it, um, just go to the player's trunk. Uh, they sell a lot of college-used merchandise uh, from previous players, and then they have a couple other players that are um, in college that, you know, they're selling their merchandise. I know um, Buddy Beheim is another big person that's selling, you know, a lot of good merchandise over there. So um, it's at the player's trunk. If you want to go to my Instagram, um, it's in my uh, – there's a link in my bio for it. I know, you know, the thing that I like about it, too, it does kind of define, like, you know, anyone that watched Michigan last year, you throw out a big dunk, there's some major energy after, uh, you know, after that dunk. Tell us about, you know, how, how is the game expanded, right? Because we all know what you could do. Uh, almost 15.7 boards per game last year. Again, that's part of the reason why I believe you're the best player returning in college basketball. But how is the game expand? How do you want it to expand? Um, and how much do you have to stay true to who you are to help Michigan win? I mean, obviously, there's the five, 10 years down the road. I want to be making great money in the NBA and helping team win games there. But I also have to help Michigan win games here. And I have to find kind of that balance of expand my game, but also, again, stay true to who I am and what makes me valuable to this particular team. Um, in terms of, you know, that staying true to who you are and, you know, benefiting the team, I think, you know, I'm a winner first. And, um, you know, I think it goes back to my trust and confidence in Coach Howard to get me to where I want to be. Um, I have the utmost confidence in him. And, and we've had that conversation about, you know, I, I say instead of expanding my game, I'd say expanding my role because, you know, I feel like I've been capable of doing everything that, you know, I'm going to show this year. But I think it was just a matter of, you know, playing my role last year. Last year, they didn't need me to shoot, you know, five threes a game. We had guys who shot 40%. You know, we had a lottery pick in Franz. We had another two players who, you know, are with, you know, in terms of like Isaiah Liver, Shondi Brown, who are in the NBA or, you know, right on the cusp of it. You know, we had Mike Smith, who was a career at Columbia. I think he probably averaged 20 points or higher throughout his career at Columbia. And so we had guys who could, you know, put the ball in the hoop from, you know, the mid-range and the three-point line. They needed me to you know, be closer to the basket and dominate the game that way. And so for me, um, because I'm a winner and I feel like I'm a team player, uh, that's what I that's what I did, anything for the team. And so this year, obviously, um, I think this year they're going to need me to do some other things just in terms of um, offensively, uh, just the way um, like our team is built. I think they're going to 
rely on me a little bit more this year to score in different ways. And so I'm ready for that. I feel like my game has always been I'm ready for that. But, you know, whatever the team needs is the role I'm going to play. So that's why um, I feel like it's not expanding my game, but just in terms of expanding my role more. Very good. Real quick, on back to last year for just half a second. You mentioned all the players you had, Franz Wagner, Chandy Brown, Isaiah Livers. For people who don't remember, you guys were steamrolling everybody. Uh, Isaiah Livers gets hurt in the Big Ten tournament. Have, have you guys talked about, do you talk about it? What do you think the ceiling was of that team? Because Elite Eight is incredible. It's nothing to, to not be proud of. But it feels like, man, if, if you guys, guys would have been 100%, I'll say it for you. I don't know if you want to or not. I think you could have competed with anybody in college basketball. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, I think that's how everybody, how everybody felt um, with Isaiah, you know, a great player, NBA player. Um, we were one of the best teams in the country with him. I think, you know, we were high as two last year. And so um, we were obviously one of the best teams. But with him going out, it was definitely tough on us. But I think, you know, another thing that Coach Howard preaches and another aspect to Michigan basketball is, you know, it's a next man up mentality. I think, you know, something that Coach Howard really, you know, wants to pride the team on is depth. So that's something that, you know, he wants to be able to rely on his depth. And I think, you know, last year um, with Brandon Johns coming in, you know, we were all confident in B. And so we didn't really, like, obviously, you know, Brandon is not Isaiah. Um, they're two different players with two different skill sets, but we had all the confidence in the world in Brandon and, you know, we didn't really want to kind of give us that handicap of, well, we're not playing with Isaiah, so we're not going to be as good. We felt like, you know, we still had the pieces to win a national championship. Um, unfortunately, we fell a little bit short, but you know, that's how it goes. Sometimes there's only one winner in the NCAA tournament. It just wasn't us that time. Well, as you gear up for your second run, I mean, tell us a little bit about the 2021-22 team. I mean, uh, number one ranked recruiting class, a lot of young guys. I mean, I, I, I sense it's probably a different vibe in the locker room just because there's so many young guys as opposed to so many vets last year, but there's also vets like you, uh, Eli Brooks, guys like that that are back. Tell us a little bit more uh, about the 21-22 team uh, at Michigan. Yeah, this team is definitely, you know, nine day different than last year in terms of, like you said, the youth. Uh, last year, like our team was very old. I think, you know, I'd even – realize how old it was until, you know, we got to this year and we had so many new faces, um, not only the freshman, but Devontae as well coming in. You know, um, I think this year our team is a lot deeper than it was last year in terms of, you know, once we got past about seven and then once we got to like eight, nine, it was kind of like a, you know, we, we didn't know what we were going to get um, this year. I think, you know, our eight, nine is very solid and I think Coach Howard is really happy that, you know, I think we'll be able to go deeper into the bench this year, um, you know, for the bigger games because, you know, I think our bench was a little bit shorter when it got to, you know, those crunch um, big time games that, you know, we were playing. And so this year, you know, we have an insane amount of talent. I think our biggest hurdle will be just, you know, that chemistry that we had last year. I'm trying to get that same kind of bond because we have so many new guys coming in, you know, that we're trying to, you know, figure each other out and get to know one another on a, you know, fast pace. I'm just working on, you know, getting to know each other on and off the court because, you know, playing basketball, it takes a while to build that trust. And, you know, we're working on it every day. I feel like we're getting better each and every day um, with the young guys, bringing them along, trying to teach them what Michigan is about and what the culture is about here. And so I think the sky's the limit for us. I think our best days are ahead of us and I can't wait um, to get started with these guys real quick you know first game's coming up here real quick you guys ready to just beat up on somebody else here in the uh, next couple weeks yeah I mean it's been it's been you know these preseason practices are long um, if you ask any college basketball player right now I bet they'll say they can't wait to get you know in season and in that in that mode but um, it's been fun going against Musa and Brandon and Jaron um, they you know, really made me work. And I think we all are ready to finally get to play somebody else. Um, we go to DePaul this weekend. And so I think we're all excited to finally get to play somebody new for once. 
Fantastic. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, of course, uh, preseason All-Big Ten, uh, Jabbar Award for the nation's top center. You can learn more at hoopall.com, at hoopall on Instagram, at hoopall on Twitter. Players trunk if you want some uh, big Dickinson energy gear. Hunter Dickinson, we appreciate the time, man. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.